I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Once Upon a Gene. Thank you for spending a little time with me today. I have another great episode coming up. Right off the tails of the Global Genes Patient Advocacy Summit. No, it's not about that. I have not even had an moment to process all of the magic that happened last week. So stay tuned for my thoughts on on that summit and shout out to everyone that was there in person and virtually like my heart is bursting out of my body and flying out there. I'm so excited and just felt so much love. So today I'm talking with one of my friends about inclusion. She's actually an inclusion expert. Her name on social media is the Inclusive Educator. She goes around to school districts and teaches them about inclusion and implementing practices and stuff like that. And she was also a special education teacher and she was also a student. So today we're having a great conversation about promoting diversity and inclusion in all aspects at school and kind of myth busting some things. So I hope you enjoy my conversation. Make sure to go follow her, the inclusive educator. Here's my guest, Brie Gastaldi. Hello, Brie. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Yes, I'm so glad to have you on here talking about the inclusion revolution that we all care so much about. Now, I've been following you for, I don't know, quite a while, quite a while now. And we happen to sort of be names. Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. (laughs) Well, how about you tell us all a little bit about yourself and what you do as an inclusion expert, what that means? Sure. Well, just to kind of rewind all the way, I got into special education actually by way of my own neurodivergence. So I was diagnosed with ADHD in middle school and started receiving support for that in middle school. I was actually never on an IEP or 504, but I got support from you know, my parents and outside tutors and other medical professionals who helped me along the way. And then I studied psychology as an undergrad And just, you know, everything at that time just started making a lot more sense to me. Learning about psychology just sort of like it was like a like a fog was lifted and I started understanding myself better and the world around me better. And I just fell in love with psychology and working with kids. I ended up getting my um, certification in abnormal child psychology and was working at the Child and Youth Study Center at the University of Idaho. 
and just kind of from there just sort of fell in love with it and you know it kind of felt like special education chose me and shortly after i graduated from college with a psychology degree in 2009 so terrible timing to have a degree in psychology but i ended up working at a at a school as a paraeducator so i was a paraeducator for a couple of years and then was like you know what i definitely want to become a teacher so I got my master's and uh, started teaching, did that for several more years. And then from there became an inclusion specialist for a large school district here in the Seattle area. But inclusion was kind of always interwoven into my pedagogy. I was always looking for ways to include my students in a variety of different activities that they historically had never had an opportunity to participate in. So when I got my own classroom, a lot of my students had never gone on field trips before, or, you know, maybe they were, you know, really, really good at math, but they were kind of on this track and in a more segregated program. And so they were never able to go to math with the rest of their class. And so I was the one to kind of be like, you know what, we're going to try this and see how it goes. And, you know, obviously they just took off and excelled from there. And it just sort of became known in whatever school or program that I was working in that I was going to find ways for my students to be included. And that just became the the name of the game for me. And my students really took off because of it. And the school culture shifted because of that. And it was just this really beautiful thing that started to happen. And so when I became an inclusion specialist, you know, I was going around and working with a lot of different teachers and administrators around improving inclusionary practices within their school and within their programs. And it was just such a profound experience for me. And then, you know, once the pandemic hit, school districts kind of got a little crazy. And I just, this was inclusion is what I wanted to do. So I just said, you know what, I am going to branch off and do my own thing and just figure it out. And so the inclusive educator was born and now I'm talking to you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I did not know that whole entire story. I love it so much. And I know it always makes parents feel so embraced when the job chose you Mm -hmm. and you chose the job and it comes from such a personal and passionate place, you know, to live out your purpose like that. So that's super exciting. I wonder when you mentioned about, you know, everything going bananas during COVID and schools, obviously, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you deciding to want to branch out and start your own company or your own business. What were the things, if you can say, that were missing or broken or that you couldn't get people to understand that made you want to do that also? You know, I don't think that it was anyone's fault or anyone's problem. I just think that at the time it was just so crazy for schools and they were trying to figure out how to do their best given the crazy circumstances that they were in. And unfortunately, you know, disabled students were the ones that were kind of left behind in all of that. In some cases, not all cases, it's just something that is so important to me. And 
During the pandemic, my responsibilities shifted as an inclusion specialist. Again, not by anyone's fault, but just because of what was happening. You know, that year I taught every single grade, either in person or remote. <laughs> that year. So that was a that was huge. I wrote more IEPs that year than I did any other year as an actual case manager. So I was just I was pulled very very thin, but plus I was also, you know, still mentoring and coaching and training all of these teachers around inclusionary practices, but it just kind of made me be like, you know, this is the only thing that I really want to focus my attention and energy on is just inclusion. Well, I love that answer, too, actually, because it makes me also feel better and that it was just a time for you to leap. Yeah. And it was that perfect moment, that perfect window for you. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Like I said, there was just no problem. It was just kind of the nature of what was happening in schools at that time. That's a whole other episode of what was happening <laughs> totally, in special yeah. education at that time. Mm -hmm. What are some of the myths and misconceptions that not only parents like me have, but definitely my peers, my parents who have kids with, you know, typically developing kids and the school system? What are some of the misconceptions across the board and maybe some in particular with each of those? Sure. Well, there are so many myths <laughs> when it comes to inclusion. And I've been doing kind of a fun little series on my social media about the different myths that come up with regards to inclusion. But I think for me, one of the biggest ones that I try to highlight as much as possible when I talk to parents is that inclusion is not a program. And oftentimes I have parents ask me, you know, what should I be looking for in an inclusion program for my child? And it might sound um, like counterintuitive, but you should be looking for something that's not called an inclusion program. <laughs> you know, there's no such thing as an inclusion class or an inclusion program because for a number of different reasons, but true inclusion exists within your child's home school in their home general education classroom. It's not a class that they go to or program that they go to. And also, if only certain students can be in the inclusion program, like you have to qualify to be in the inclusion program, then it is inherently not inclusive, right? So if you have to qualify to be in a certain program that's called inclusion, that's kind of an oxymoron, right? So that's the first thing is that Inclusion is not a program. It's not a classroom that students go to. Really, inclusion is an undeniable sense of belonging the moment you walk into a building or into a classroom. It is a feeling that you belong there. It's a feeling that you are a valuable member of that building or that classroom's community and culture and that you are celebrated, right? That all learners are celebrated along all of the, you know, beautiful ways that humans are di diverse, including neurodiverse. I'm going to take that quote out. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how we as parents respond to the questions or not to the questions, but to the comments, like say I'm sitting with my girlfriend and we're all talking about our kids who are in school 
And they tell me that they pulled their child out of said class or said school because so many of the resources were going to the kids like Ford that her child wasn't able to learn as well. What would you say about that kind of situation and what parents think is really happening in those classrooms? Is that happening in the classrooms? And what's a response that a parent like me can have when that conversation topic comes up? So just to kind of clarify the question, are you... Are you asking how inclusion impacts what we would call kind of like a a general education student? Yes, that's exactly it. Well, that's a really good question. And that is definitely one of the myths that come up in with regards to inclusion. So actually a 2008 meta-analysis of number of different studies that looked at inclusion found that inclusion had a neutral to positive impact on neurotypical students in 81% of those studies. So that would be my first response to that is really just kind of like looking at the actual data and the facts. Because when we have a more inclusive classroom and culture, all students are learning more. And when we look at school districts who are doing a really good job with inclusion, we actually see an increase in high school graduation rates. So one school district in particular is coming to mind. I'm just going to kind of explain this a little bit because a lot of people don't fully understand. So when we look at what's called least restrictive environment or LRE, districts have a reporting system that they have to use to report least restrictive environment. So when your child qualifies for special education, And you are looking at their service matrix, you will see, okay, they're in general education for this number of minutes and in special education for this number of minutes. Does that ring a bell to you? Yes, that's that's Ford's situation for sure. Okay, yes. So when you look at, at that service matrix, you'll actually see that there are three sort of categories that a student will fall in. So they are either included in general education for zero to 39% of their day, 40 to 79% of their day, or 80 to 100% of their day. So for example, Washington State on average, 62% of students with disabilities are included 80% or more of their day. And that's the average for Washington State as of I think uh, last year, actually, 2021. And all districts and all states have a different LRE, right? So they report their LRE data to the state, and then the state reports it to the federal government. And every so often, the federal government will post this information to the public, right? So like I said, Washington state is at about 62%, but there are districts in our country, one in particular right outside of... Portland, Oregon, that's at 94%. So 94% of students with disabilities are included for 80% or more of their day. And that particular school district, when they started improving their inclusionary practices, saw a dramatic increase in reading literacy skills, in math skills, and in graduation rates. So to kind of circle back to that original question about how inclusion impacts general education students, that is how it impacts them. They not only improve in their own academics, but there are incredible 
amount of social positives that come along with it too, right? There's reduced sense of fear around difference. There's stronger self-esteem, better understanding of yourself, right? So that's how I would answer that question. (laughs) Kind of a long-winded way of answering it. Oh my gosh. It's the perfect answer. (laughs) When you said that percentage of the reading and literacy and graduation rate, you weren't only talking about the kids with IEPs and disabilities and 504 plans. It was it was all of the kids. All of the kids. What? All of the kids. We need to make that into a (laughs) T-shirt. All of the kids. Yep. (laughs) All of the kids. What are like a couple of the top changes or things they implemented or what are they doing differently that puts them like so much further ahead than all of the other school districts? Well, they've been doing it for a number of years at this point. And I'm actually really excited. In November, I'm going to go down and meet with one of the assistant superintendents of that school district, and she's going to give me a tour and we're going to talk about all of the things. So I will have a better answer for you in about a month and a half. (laughs) But just kind of preliminary from our previous conversation, you know, it's like slow wins the race, right? Like it's so hard to create systematic change quickly. So they did it slowly over a number of different years. So I think that they're in like close to year 10 in their inclusionary practices journey. So I I really, I couldn't tell you exactly the steps that they, that they took. Maybe in a, like I said, maybe in a a month and a half or so, I'll be able to give you a better answer. Okay. Yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing as a parent that is cringeworthy and I understand everyone has their own experience but is when I read posts from ex-teachers who say they left because of kids like mine Mm. and because of IEPs and inclusionary practices that made their jobs more difficult what would you say about maybe what's wrong with the system in that way or how that all kind of gets jumbled together and makes it a disaster for everyone in the community Mm -hmm. two things kind of come to mind number one the paperwork that's in, that's associated with special education, it is incredible. <laughs> and rightfully so. I mean, I definitely understand why we have the uh, procedural safeguards that we do in order to make sure that students are getting exactly what it is that they need in order to be successful. But it is a lot. It is a lot of paperwork. And then the other thing is that You know, sometimes I don't blame, especially general education teachers for being so frustrated with inclusionary practices because they were never taught about special education in their teacher prep programs. So they go through, you know, however long their teacher prep program is. And I think the last time I heard a a statistic was that they, general education teachers have one and a half courses on average around special education. And I'm sure that that's just very superficial, high level, you know, here are some diagnoses and here are the ways that they show up in the classroom. But as far as actually really learning how to support students with disabilities, it is really minimal and it's sad, honestly. I don't blame them for being frustrated and upset when they have a student with disabilities in their class because they've never been taught or supported in how to be the best teacher that they possibly can 
for that particular student. And when we look at other countries like the UK and Sweden, Spain, Germany, they all have to actually also be special education teachers. So like I referenced the LRE categories earlier, those countries are you know, hovering around 97 to 99% of students with disabilities are included for 80% or more of their day. And I really think that because their general education teachers are taught about special education and about disability, that is a huge reason why they are able to be more inclusive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's still surprising to me that in 2022, it isn't part of their teaching certification. Mm -hmm. It's like a medical student not learning about pediatric cancer. I mean, there are people that are going to be going into this setting that you're going to encounter. And it, it's just mind blowing to me that it's not even a part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the school setting, how does a parent decide if their children should be in more gen ed classes or be in more of the special education classes? Like, how do we gauge that? And how do we find what's most valuable for our kid in the setting uh, when we don't even really know what we're talking about when we're starting out these IEPs and going into these meetings? Like, how do I know? Because it's scary to think, oh, well, if he's in gen ed, he's just going to be sitting there as a placeholder for them to say that they're being inclusive or now he's taken out and nobody gets to see kids like mine. Yeah, there's so many. And first of all, as a parent, you're always going to know your child better than anyone else on the multidisciplinary team, right? So your voice on, on the team is going to be the most important one. And I always tell parents that because oftentimes I feel like they always oftentimes will will default to whatever the teachers say but at the end of the day they will always you will always know your child better than anyone else so if you're seeing them come home just absolutely distraught because of what's happening then maybe we need to pull back on inclusion a little bit right um but also some some things to think about are, are they meeting all of their goals? What does the data say about how they're doing? If they're meeting all of their goals, then then they're you're doing a great job, right? And maybe we can start thinking about how we can include a little bit more and create some more access. Another thing too is that inclusion is not necessarily just in a gen ed classroom. So when I go and I look um, and do observations in schools, there's other things that I'm looking for too. Like, let's say there's an assembly and we have a particular student who does not do well in assemblies for a number of different reasons, but they are an incredibly social child. Maybe it's not appropriate for them to stay in the assembly the whole time, but they're incredibly social. So maybe they can, you know, give high fives to everyone as they enter the assembly. And then maybe they go back to the classroom and they participate virtually. Maybe you have, you have it streaming through Zoom so that they can at least still see what's going on in the assembly and participate that way. And then give high fives again as everyone leaves. That's still inclusion right? They're still being included and part of the culture of the building. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. And I appreciate that 
explanation and perspective. I have a feeling Ford's going to be the high five kid <laughs> at the assemblies because otherwise he's just going to be wheeling around and interrupting everyone. <laughs> but he can definitely give some high fives. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think too, inclusion requires out of the box thinking and really just trying to to think a little bit differently about how students are included. Oftentimes we think, okay, well, this student has to sit here and participate in this and they have to be on grade level in order to be included. But really, we're just creating those barriers in our own head. Those, those barriers exist because we created them, but we can get rid of them too because we also created them, right? So how can we think outside of the box to make sure that students feel included. Do you have anything off the top of your head of an example of something that's just so silly and right in front of our faces that we didn't notice because we're trying to think about it too much to like fix an inclusion problem? I mean, one that just popped into my head right away very early on in my career, I had a student who was just an absolutely brilliant mathematician mind. Like he could, you could say, Hey, what is 13 times 26? And he could just tell you what it was. And he's, he was um, in third grade at the time, but he wasn't in math class. And I was like, what is going on? Like, why is he not in math? So really looking at students' strengths and just because a student is in a particular program, like my classroom at that time was specifically geared towards students who are on the autism spectrum and they spent most of their day in my class. But why was it so rigid? Why could he not go to math, even though he's like so obviously good at math? So just looking at student strengths and creating access points based on those strengths is like the number one first place to start. So oftentimes people are like, well, I don't even know where to start. Like, does he just go in there all day or like, how does it work? And it's like, well, let's think about what does he love, right? What are his, his interests? What does he love? And he knows so much about what are his strengths, right? What are his strengths and his interests? And let's start from there. And make sure that, because right now, the way things are, it's so segregated, right? Students are just in this program or in, their, in that program or they're in gen ed. There's not really a whole lot of, I mean, there are depending on what district you're in, but there are these really kind of segregated programs. So taking a look at those particular programs and thinking like, okay, how can I how can I capitalize on my students' strengths and interests and create access points based on those things and start small, build confidence in the team, build confidence within the student and just start from there. Baby steps. Mm. Baby steps. Mm, yes. Yeah. Is this kind of what you would answer when parents wonder, like, what can they do to help their kid catch up so they can be included? I mean, we hear that a lot. I hear that a lot, actually, and not like in any sort of malice, but Ford will catch up. Ford will do this. Ford will do this. What do you say to parents? I say release the burden of thinking that they have to catch up in order to be included. They do not have to catch up in order to be included. And based on the laws set forth by IDEA, students with disabilities should have access to general education content no matter what their diagnosis or disability level is. So just because a student is in fourth grade and 
they're currently reading at a first grade reading level does not mean that they cannot be included, right? So sure, lessons might have certain accommodations or modifications associated with them, but that doesn't mean that they can't participate. They aren't forfeiting participation just because they aren't at grade level. What's one of your like most favorite sparkling stories that you've been a part of so far with us with a particular kid or a success in inclusion? Oh man, there's so many every single year and there just continues to be more and more because we're we're in Washington state and Washington state is really focused on inclusionary practices right now. So I just keep hearing and participating in more and more of these stories. But really early on in my career, I started working in a classroom that had never, the students in that classroom had never gone to a field trip before. And those students wanted to go on field trips so bad. And I remember before that school year started, I had met with the teacher that was, you know, I was taking over for her. And I remember her saying to me, well, if they go on field trips, you're going to have to do all of that paperwork. And it's a lot of paperwork. And I just remember thinking like, don't all the Jenna teachers have to do the same paperwork so that their students can go on field trips? Like why, why is this a paperwork issue? So when it came time for these kids to go on this field trip, and it was such a cool field trip too. At the time I was working in Eastern Washington and the fifth grade class at the school would take Greyhound buses or these charter buses all the way over to Seattle. They would go on an Argosy cruise in the Pacific or in the Puget Sound, and then they would go to the aquarium and then they would come home. So it was just like this all day, really big, long field trip. And the kids were always so excited about this field trip. And so when I got this classroom, I was like, my kids are going on this field trip and I'm going to figure out a way to make it work. And I think I had 11 fifth graders and out of the 11, 10 of 10 of them came. And the one that didn't, the parents didn't, didn't want her to come. So that was, you know, that was their decision. But the, the looks on their faces when they were on this field trip was just so full of excitement and like wonderment and awe. And a lot of the parents came as well. And it was for a lot of them, the first time that they had also ever gone on a field trip before because their child had never been able to go on a field trip before. So they were also so excited about being able to go on this field trip. And it wasn't necessarily the field trip itself that was so exciting, but it was what happened after that was so exciting because it was the first time that these kids had ever been included in something that was so social and so exciting. And that experience bonded them with so many of their peers and they, you know, made friends with so many more of their peers on that field trip. And after that field trip, they played with those kids more at recess. Those kids would invite them more to sit with them at lunchtime and participate in 
birthdays and other activities like it was such a it was it was like a catapult into inclusion that just you know it wasn't just the field trip itself that was so exciting it was everything that happened afterwards that was just so beautiful so that is kind of like a like a, a gem of mine that I would say it was an inclusion oh my god one. I'm like crying <laughs> I feel like I have seen this movie in my own heart yeah. and life. And uh, yeah, it's everything after, right? Yeah. And it's the first time they were included, yeah. including the parents. Like, you have no idea what that feels like right. to be a parent and feel that. And you to just make this your mission and made it happen and then saw everything that blossomed and saw the change that was made, right? Because it just needs to happen once to make people understand that it can be done and that it's important. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you totally just hit the nail on the head because you know another thing after that it was it was the first time a lot of the gen ed teachers saw something like it be be successful and exciting and after that point too was a you know kind of a, a mile marker i guess for those gen ed teachers kind of starting to think outside the box and to start sort of seeing things from a different light and you know, they would start to say things to me like, hey, we have Toymaker Workshop coming up and I really want so-and-so to be able to come. Like, how can we make it successful for them? So, you know, what started with maybe me kind of being the one to start the whole thing really just put a lot of inspiration into the other gen ed teachers and they started to just run with it from there. So that was also another really cool thing. Yes, the delightful disruptor. Yeah. And then it inspired action, right? And everybody thought it was so cool. Yeah. And then inclusion became natural. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not inclusion, like you were saying in the beginning, yeah. that we probably shouldn't even categorize it, that it should just be. Right. Exactly. Mm. Yep. Oh my gosh, Brie. <laughs> uh, okay. To close out, give me like five top inclusion tips or five inclusion inspos to leave with our listeners. Okay. The, the first one I would say is let your child lead. They will maybe not be able to tell you with their words, but with their smiles, um, they'll be able to tell you when they're ready uh, to participate more. Another one I would say is to, as a parent, be intentional in making positive connections with all of the members of the multidisciplinary team. So whoever that is for you and your child, uh, whether that's service providers like OTs, PTs, SLPs, or specialist teachers like PE, music, art, or whatever the specialists are at your school, the gen ed teachers, the special ed teachers, the administrators, be sure to connect with them. I always tried to connect with parents because of a lot of different reasons, but I think that that relationship is so important. So be sure to connect with them. Let's see. There's five is okay. Five. I, I'm being put on top the spot three. now. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> we got your top three tips. Okay. Three. The third one. I know. I like threw that one at you, but so good. Yeah. The third one, I guess would be if your child isn't being included at all right now, start slow. Start with, like I said before, start with their strengths and their interests and go from there you will not be successful if you go from fully segregated to fully included for a number of different reasons, but just start slow. 
if they aren't already being included. Just start slow. Well, we're used to those inch stones, so that'll resonate. Yeah. (laughs) I definitely want to send a shout out to you. Obviously, I am so obsessed with what you're doing and I can tell how much it means to you. But to, yeah, all of our SLPs, OTs, PTs, BCBAs, I mean, all the people, the teachers, the special education teachers, the principals, like my team at Mercer Island School District has, they've just been amazing. And anyone who's trying to better inclusion practices for our kids, for not just kids with disabilities, but for all of our kids and the betterment of society in general, especially when they grow up and go out into the world and contribute. It's so important. So thank you for what you do. Tell everyone how they can get an inclusion specialist like you to talk to their school and or where they can find you. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at the inclusive educator. My website is the inclusive educator.com. I'm also on Twitter, although I don't really do a whole lot on Twitter, but my handle is inclusive sped. And yeah. So and as far as supporting inclusion in your district, if you're in Washington state, a lot of it is starting to happen sort of organically from the top down right now. But I do go around to several different school districts in the area to support inclusion, and I'm happy to come to any of them as well. So don't hesitate to reach out. All right, cool. Thanks, Bree. Yeah, thank you. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people, and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. (laughs) 